Hi, and welcome to About You, a new podcast about people in our communities who make a difference for others. I want to know how people spend their free time volunteering, what motivates them, why volunteering is important to them, and what kind of volunteering they do. Join me as I talk with community leaders passionate about making a difference on About You. So our first guest is Vicki Dirksen. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us on the first episode of About You. And I chose you for the first episode because you're so involved in the community. And that's uh, pretty much exactly what this podcast is about. I'm happy to be your first guest. Yay. (laughs) So, um, you know, people volunteer for a range of different reasons. It could be making a difference in the community they live in, um, a chance to make new friends, Um, building or strengthening uh, social networks. Um, For others, it could be about like gaining new skills or knowledge, um, or even wanting to share different skills and knowledge with other people. Um, So in About You, what I want to talk about is why you are volunteering for different organizations. And I know we've got a few lined up that we can talk about. Um, And then kind of just, you know, what you get out of it and what kind of an impact it has on or the impact you feel that it has on the people who live here. So I did some research into what you do, and I also know you. (laughs) So I'm familiar with some of the groups that you belong to. Um, So I wanted to first start with the the Dark Sky, and specifically the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association. So I know that you volunteer for a couple of the boards related to Dark Sky Preservation, and you serve on the board of directors for the... Uh, International Dark Sky Discovery Center, and your vice president of the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association. So if this seems like gibberish to some of our listeners, um, uh, why is protecting dark skies uh, so important to you? Well, I I grew up in northern Idaho, and to me, it was normal to go outside, and especially in the summer, and see the Milky Way. I thought, everybody could see the Milky Way. And (laughs) I moved to the Phoenix area um, in my early 20s. And that's when I realized that I wasn't going to get to see what I was used to seeing. There wasn't much up there. And so when I moved to Fountain Hills, I was pretty happy to get at least some of my dark skies back. But uh, I've also learned since then that 80% of people around the world can't see the Milky Way anymore. And that's all due to light pollution. And so obviously not being able to see the stars at night has a very easy, very simple solution, which is simply less lights, turning down the lights, (laughs) turning off the Mm -hmm. lights. And so um, realizing that we do have great lighting technology and lighting Um, tools that we can use to do a better job of lighting what we need to in the just the places we need to and shielding that light so it doesn't go up into the sky so that people can actually still enjoy the stars and um, part of what's important to preserving the dark sky for me is because for our human history we have stories that are filled with mythologies and legends and all kinds of stuff associated with constellations and planets and things that we can see in the night sky. So 
to have that stuff erased because of light pollution is really sad to me. And I feel like, you know, mm. I want to do something to preserve that heritage that we have as the human race. And uh, I also learned that light pollution can cause a lot of health problems for humans. It can cause a lot of disruption to um, the world of insects and animals and just the whole ecology of all of that. Light pollution makes a huge impact. And so they, you know, we all depend on darkness for our health and our ability to continue to function. Um, and uh, so dark sky preservation has become very important to me for all of those reasons. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like there's many different reasons why it would be important to preserve the dark skies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so um, in all the work that you've been doing with the dark sky association in your community, um, what have you seen as a result from that? Have you seen some of the residents making changes or gaining new awareness on light pollution? And have they made any changes to improve that in the community? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I had the privilege of being on the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association board at the time that we were able to get our community designated as an international dark sky community. And that was in January of 2018. So I, I count that as a huge privilege to have been able to be part of that. But um, yeah. I've also seen, you know, people learning more and, and asking a lot of questions about lighting they have at their place. Um, I have a neighbor who just recently bought a telescope. He's super excited. And I think that though that people don't think twice about their lighting unless they've been educated about it or they have a real interest in looking at the stars and they realize my neighbor's lights are making it really difficult for me. Sure. So yeah, that's a good point. I, I bet people who start to get involved in, you know, they just get a telescope and they're mm -hmm. maybe it's new to them and they start getting inspired to look at the stars and then maybe they'll realize that, Hey, my neighbor's lights are really bright. Yeah. Or <laughs> they're interfering with, I want to look in that direction, but their lights are shining right in my face. <laughs> Sure, sure. Awesome. Um, and I, I know that you've taken that even a step further. So I came across your, your website, um, nightskytourist.com. Um, and I think you, you go through a lot of um, the different, uh, you talk about the stars and what you can see up in the sky. And I think you talk about it from a naked eye perspective, as well as with binoculars or even with a telescope. So you kind of have a, um, you know, and you cater to everybody that might be interested in looking at the stars. They don't necessarily have to be um, astronomers to, to <laughs> be able to benefit from reading your site. Um, and one of the things I came across that was kind of funny was this, uh, the word you wrote was casadrastrophobia, if I said that correctly. <laughs> Probably, uh, so, I don't know. <laughs> so what does that mean, Vicki? <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a fairly new term, and I, I realize that it's, uh, I, I don't know who invented the term, but it just <laughs> entered the, quote, urban dictionary in 2006. So it's, it's kind of a newer thing that people talk about. But basically what it is is an irrational or pathological fear of falling into the sky. And uh, I have a funny story about that. I actually taught naked eye astronomy to a group of homeschooled high school students several years ago. 
And a lot of the parents wanted to take the class or sit in on the class, I should say, because they wanted to participate with their kids and going outside and doing stargazing and stuff. Oh, wow. And there was this one mom who was who stuck around. She was the one that was the most fascinated by this class. And she'd sit in the back and she'd write down notes and stuff and uh, started going out and stargazing with her kids. And they would do a lot of road trips to Texas and they would usually drive at nighttime. So they would pull over in the middle of nowhere and, you know, she'd have her kids go look for the things that we were talking about in our class. And she told me one day, you know, my whole life I've had this horrible, paralyzing fear of looking up at the sky at nighttime. And I said, really? She's like, yes, I'm terrified. Like, I feel like oh my gosh. if I look up, I might, like, my feet might leave the earth and I might not be able to get back <laughs> down and I'll fall out there into space. And I just thought, I'd never heard of that before. And I thought it was the most unusual thing. And then I found out she's not the only one. There's actually a lot of people who feel like that. And they've invented a word for themselves. <laughs> wow, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I'd never heard of that until I came across your site either. <laughs> so did you just want to tell us really quickly about uh, what you do with the Night Sky Tourist? Sure. Um, Night Sky Tourist, as you were kind of mentioning, really what I, who I want to connect with is just everyday people. People who want to get out and see the night sky or, and visit places that are either um, have a dark sky designation and some places don't have that designation, but they are truly good dark sky places to visit. And so part of it is introducing people to those places and giving them ideas of how they can plan a trip around visiting these places. Also introducing them to, um, there, there's a word that was used for a long time. They call it archaeoastronomy. It's kind of like mixing mm. archaeology with astronomy. And then a good example of that is uh, Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, where a thousand or so years ago, people had created buildings and made markings um, to, to actually track the seasons and the motion of the sun and the moon and all that. And those ruins still stand today. So a lot of people call them archaeoastronomy sites. Um, but today, more and more people are starting to refer to it as cultural astronomy. So okay. I love history. I love learning about ancient cultures. I'm kind of a geek like that. And um, so that's part of what I do in this too, is just introducing people to places they could go to learn about what like the ancient people did with the night sky. They were brilliant with um, knowing exactly, you know, the paths of everything across the sky and the patterns. Um, and part of the website is promoting, of course, the dark sky preservation and then just stargazing in general, you know, of, of teaching people um, how, what they can do to, to enjoy stargazing from their own backyard or if they go camping using their naked eye or, as you mentioned, binoculars or telescope if they have them. But there's a lot of things people can do to enjoy the night sky without any tools at all. Just some good darkness. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So it sounds like you've really taken your passion for the night sky that you grew up with in Idaho. Um, and when you came down to Arizona and realized that something was missing, uh, you got involved in volunteering with um, 
not only these two boards, but also with developing your own website to continue uh, it's more like outreach, it sounds mm -hmm. like, um, and awareness. Yeah. So that must, um, it must take a lot of your time to <laughs> keep that maintained and to uh, contribute to those boards. So thanks for sharing that with us. Now, yeah. I know that's not the only thing you do. <laughs> so you also, um, I think you serve an official capacity for the town of Fountain Hills, Arizona as well, um, as a commissioner for the Sister Cities Advisory Commission. Mm -hmm. um, now, I know on a global scale, Sister Cities International creates uh, global relationships based on culture, education, information, and trade exchange. They're founded in 1956, and essentially they bring communities across the globe closer together to tackle humanity's most pressing issues. Mm -hmm. Now, Fountain Hills has four sister cities in uh, Casterly, Belgium, Deerdorf, Germany, Zamosk, Poland, or Zamosk, if I said it the right <laughs> way, and Taco El Salvador. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the advisory board and, um, or the advisory commission and how they help, um, the sister cities, uh, the town aspect, or maybe with the, the board yeah. or the exchange programs? Yeah. So as an advisory commission, as you said, it's an official town position with Fountain Hills and we support the decision-making process for the youth foreign exchange programs that happen through sister, sister cities and also adult pro, uh, trips. Um, there are numerous adult trips that are taken, um, obviously not, not right now with COVID, but um, right. Um, we also will make recommendations to the program. We assist the Fountain Hill Sister Cities Board of Directors uh, with communicating with the town, um, supporting local events. You know, we, we show up when the sister cities, you know, they do their big fundraiser every year with the Oktoberfest and, and among some other things. But um, yeah, so we're there as a supportive role and just as a connection between that entity and the town itself. Awesome. And I know you also have two, um, you have two kids and you were a homeschool teacher. So you know, yep. I'm sure that you're, you know, you've connected to this through through the whole, um, you know, educational system and had an interest in doing that. Um, and I know you've done some traveling yourself too. So I'm sure it's helpful to kind of stay involved in that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but you're right, uh, you know, with the COVID coming in, that has definitely put in a hamper on uh, a lot of the travel and I'm sure the exchange programs as yes. well. Yes, definitely. So there's another program that you belong to, and I think you have a lead role in this organization. So as I understand, um, this is the, the Cultural and Civic Association, um, also known as uh, the branded name is I Love Fountain Hills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think you manage membership, probably among many other responsibilities too. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what that nonprofit organization does for the community? Sure. So Fountain Hills Cultural and Civic Association, um, as you mentioned, we kind of rebranded ourselves as ilovefountainhills.org uh, just as a way to create a little more recognition in the community. Uh, you know, being in Fountain Hills, there's so many organizations that start with FH. So, you know, <laughs> known as FHCCA, <laughs> it's kind of a mouthful. And, and so, yeah, we rebranded as I Love Fountain Hills. But this, what we do is we serve as an umbrella organization 
for at this moment, 15 different programs and groups in Fountain Hills. And what we do wow. is we provide an, a kind of like organizational support. Um, when, when one of these programs or organizations come under FHCCA, we provide them 501c3 nonprofit status. They don't have to go out and get their own. They get to come under ours. We provide accounting and banking. We provide a web page for them. We provide some marketing. They have to do a lot of their own, but we do some marketing through newsletter and social media, newspaper articles, things like that. And um, so some of the programs, you know, again, there's 15 of them, but it includes things such as the community garden, the community band, the Dark Sky Association that we were just talking about, public art, um, and a whole lot more. But all of those, what, what it does is it allows some of the ideas that have come from people in our community who thought, you know what, let's start a community garden. And they get together a bunch of people to be able to make that happen. But some of this infrastructure that allows them to exist, sometimes that's the very thing that can trip up really great ideas and keep them from ever mm. coming into reality. So by providing those things, we've been able to allow some of these great ideas to get off the ground without them having to worry about those things that would suck up all of their funding. <laughs> and so uh, it's a very valuable organization in our community. And, um, and I hope that people start to learn more about it, join as a member, because that helps support what we do. As you mentioned, I'm in charge of membership. I'm also in charge of marketing. And of course, you know, when you serve on a board, you wear many other hats too. So. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm sure. <laughs> so it sounds like it's, um, it helps the groups get uh, more official and established. So yeah. I'm sure that, that, you know, some people have a great idea of some way to contribute to the community and they can form a, you know, a little committee, but it sounds like the cultural and civic association offers the, the uh, infrastructure, like you said, for them to become official, um, have the nonprofit designation under the umbrella and be able to, um, to really have a formalized team so they can move forward with their initiative. Yes. Yeah. It's an awesome program. Definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> so within that, uh, within the cultural and civic association, one of the programs is the Fountain Hills leadership Academy. So you are a fellow Fountain Hills leadership Academy graduate mm -hmm. and, uh, and now a member of the board of directors and we've both followed the same path. I'll note that in the podcast here. <laughs> uh, so I'm very familiar with that program as well. And, um, and uh, it's great that, you know, that's a perfect example of program that a lot of good ideas, um, but might be kind of hard to get going. So they rolled it up under that cultural and civic association to yeah. get those benefits and then just move forward with the, with the ideas and yeah. get the program going. Yep. So I'm curious, I want to ask you about Leadership Academy. So how do you think learning about the town's operation through an official program like the Leadership Academy gave you a better understanding of the, the inner workings of the community? Well, you know, I lived in Fountain Hills for, I think, probably 18 or 19 years prior to doing the Fountain Hills Leadership Academy. And 
at the, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I homeschooled my kids. That was like my whole world was just that because I didn't have time for anything else. And uh, when my kids got really close to graduating and they were doing some other things with their education, I finally had time to get involved with the community and realized right away when I started the Leadership Academy that I'd lived here for almost two decades and really didn't know very much about the community where I lived. And I was voting every election and clearly didn't really know what was going on here. So it was really important for me because it opened my eyes to understand the real challenges that our community had, not just the things that I would look at and say, oh, I wish the town would do this or I wish <laughs> they would do that. Instead, I really got to see here are the, the real challenges in this community. Here are some of the amazing solutions that, you know, our town um, officials have come up with, or even just um, residents who are really passionate about the community, ideas they've come up with and how they got involved in, and helped solve some of these issues. And so for me, it really, really opened my eyes to understand this is how our community works. Here are our challenges, here are our weaknesses, our strengths, and here's what I can do to get involved to make it an even better place for myself and my family and everyone else. So it was extremely valuable for me. Yeah, absolutely. I could agree with everything you said. Mm -hmm. And I think it's key to note that, you know, in a program like a leadership academy in the community, you learn about those things from the people you should be learning it from. Yes. <laughs> uh, the people who might not necessarily have the time to be on social media and talking yes. about things. And, um, and if you don't have the exposure to them, you're learning about it through other people. And it might not always be accurate. At right. That point. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, awesome. Yep, I totally agree. That was a, a great way to get involved very quickly. It's like yeah. diving in the deep end. So, well, I mean, through all these programs, and I might, I, I might be missing a few, but it sounds like this is, um, this would take a lot of your time to volunteer for all of these organizations. And like you mentioned, you were a homeschool mom as well, a homeschool teacher. So how do you find the time to volunteer your time? And, and what, I guess my final question for this is, you know, why do you do it? What, what do you get out of volunteering? Well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't start doing any of this until I was pretty much done homeschooling. I didn't, I didn't have time to focus on anything else. Um, and then I've also, once I finished homeschooling, I got a job, but the only way I'm able to do all this is that I only work part-time. Um, I don't know that I could do what I do and work full-time. So, you know, not everybody has the luxury of being able to volunteer to the extent that I have volunteered. You know, a lot of people work full-time. There are people who own their own companies, their own, you know, private businesses, they don't have time to serve that much, but uh, everybody's capable of serving somehow. It, you know, it might be with one organization once a month. There's a lot of different ways to get involved. And that's, that's one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, in my mind, I would look before, before Leadership Academy, before doing the things that we've talked about today, I would look at the community 
and wonder, you know, how in the world does anybody get involved and make a difference in our community in a really significant way? And now that I am where I am, I realize that it's very easy. Anybody can get involved. It's mm-hmm. not something that's only for some people and not for everyone. It truly is something that everybody can find a place that's a good fit for them. You know, whether so it's, true. Yeah, whether it's donating their time and their energy to, to help with an event or volunteer, you know, to, to help with something. Um, for some, it might even just be um, financial support. That's so important. You know, someone may not have hardly any time to ever donate, but those organizations need money to function. And, you know, financial support is just as critical as volunteering time. And um, a lot of people have talents and maybe they offer their talents for certain things. And there's just ways for everybody to get involved and it's, it's not out of reach for anyone. So I would encourage people, if you have any desire to have a voice in your community, um, to get involved in solving a, a challenge or a problem in the community, there is always a way for you to get involved. And I really encourage that. And for me, you know, it's just been very satisfying to be able to give back to the community where I've lived for so long and always just take, take, take. This has been my chance to give, give, give. Well, it sounds like you're really taking advantage of that and you're you're (laughs) giving a lot back to the community. So I'm sure everyone is really grateful for all the work that you've done. And um, Vicki, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing what you do in the community. Thank you for doing this podcast. I think this is a great thing you're doing. The organizations we discussed in today's podcast include the Fountain Hills Dark Sky Association at fhdarksky.com, the International Dark Sky Association at darksky.org, Sister Cities International at sistercities.org, and the Cultural and Civic Association of Fountain Hills at ilovefountainhills.org. Thanks for listening.